Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. So uh, I am not Jim Robinson. I'm not uh, the normal host of this show, but I am your guest host, Andrew Crabtree, and I'm joined by uh, Scott Harris. And typically, we host together Master's Choices Podcast, The Dairy Dive. So uh, we're happy to step in today and talk about a couple silage-related topics, and that's going to include things like Harvest Window and the, uh, the dreaded fall slump. So hopefully, you're going to learn something. And hopefully we don't let Jim down too badly. It's, I don't know when people will listen to this. I can't control that. I know when we're recording this and it is now fall. It is fall. Officially. Officially. And, and I don't know what the weather was like in your part of the world, listener, but here where we are recording this in Southern Illinois, summer held on to the very end. In the last day of summer, it was like 98 degrees, and then the calendar switched to fall, and it went from like 98 down to like 71. Yeah, last Wednesday, last Wednesday here, it was hot, hot, bro. Making, uh, but it's mellowed out. Yeah, it's nice, and it feel it's starting to feel the part of fall. It is. It so is. it got it got me thinking, um, and I've talked to a few people about this with the t- turn of fall. I I like fall. Uh-huh. I don't know that it's my favorite season, but it's it's up there. Of the four, it's high on the list. Yeah. Um, Scott, what are the things that you love about the calendar turning to fall? So I think probably the big, biggest things that come to mind for me is, well, I'm a salesman, so it's the start of the seed selling season. Seed selling season. It is. Say so that five times fast. Seed selling season. Yep, that's all I got. Yeah. Um, so, no, no, obviously that's business. But uh, so outside of that, when you talk about personal things, I start. I feel less guilty about uh, eating things like chili, yeah, and soup. I and, love and, soup and football. I mean, that's that's it for me. I, you know, listener, I can tell you just from that statement that Scott Harris is an optimist. That he is still excited about football season all these years later. He's a Bears fan, and to still be excited about football—that's character building. I didn't say bear football. Oh. I just, just, football. just football. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you mentioned soups. Do you think chili is a soup, by the way? Can no. We, you don't? No. See, I think it is. No. I cl- I would clarify chili as a, as a subdivision of soup. I can't. I, I wouldn't put it in the same class, but uh, I love them both. There's not many soups I don't like. Um, I'm So I'm weird because I really like chili. But I'm not overly picky about it. Like you know, some people get all worked up about it. if it has beans, chili's like pizza. Like there's beans. no such thing as bad chili. Yeah, like if it has this, oh, it can't have this. Well, that's not chili. Like people get kind of worked <sighs> up about it. Like um, I just, I mean, I definitely have some chilies I like more than others. But sure. For the most part, I'm going to eat it because the worst case scenario, I'll just throw a bunch of cheese and crackers and and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's hot. Yeah, it'll be fine. What are your other favorite? I like potato soup a lot. I, you know, I, I a nice hearty, thick, creamy potato soup. So it's kind of weird because I'm not a big potato guy. Like I don't like mashed potatoes. You don't. Yeah, it's true. But I do like potato soup usually. Um, Put a little bacon bits on um, it. But I'm weird because I'm I like a potato soup that's a little more brothy. Mm. Okay. Than necessarily the thicker, but I'll eat both. I like a nice thick one. Put some bacon bits in it, some cheese. Mm-hmm. Do it bacon up. Bacon bits, cheese, some pepper. You like candy corn? Nope. Not a not a fan. Nope. I. I can't get behind I'm it. I'm okay. I I could do without it, but I'm okay. I like it. You know, it's it's one of those things that's like nice for a season. <clears throat> I just can't get behind it. But now we are getting into here in Southern Illinois a big time of the thing that happens here a lot during this time of year is a little thing called bonfires. Bonfires. I I now that's a nice fall tradition. That's yep. lovely. 
Yeah, get your get your friends favorite drink of choice and uh gather around, y'all. Gather around and burn some stuff. <laughs> and sometimes literally it's literally burn like, some stuff. Like I I've think seen people of, burn couches. I <laughs> like, think the last time you and I had a bonfire there may have been some furniture just involved. Throw it Nothing in. crazy, by the way. I want to make that clear, listeners. This was not like, hey, let's burn the couch. Yeah, we're not pyromaniacs. Like no, this we're was just, nuts. This was yeah. stuff that needed to be burned. Yeah. No, that's that is a good Midwestern fall tradition is the uh, the bonfire and the hayride. Mm-hmm. The hayride, yep. I'm yep. a fan of the hayride. For sure. So what are okay, so we've talked like what are some of the things that happen in agriculture seasonally? What's a fall agriculture thing? So right now we're the biggest thing is harvest obviously. So you're particularly for the, you know, a lot of our listeners would be dairy producers. Um they're watching their silage very close, make sure they get the timing right. Um, to get that silage out of the field, we don't want to take it too wet. You don't want to take it too dry. At this stage, for most people, you're not going to take it uh, too wet probably this late. But you could in some, some parts of the country. But uh, really watching that window because unlike it would be in the summertime, you never know. Your GDUs can really vary per day at this stage. Um, cloudiness, heat, temperature, all these things are factors in that GDU calculation. So you've got to really watch. And every hybrid is just a little different. Some of them dry down much faster than others. So there'll be a lot of that. There'll be some, uh, once that's done, you'll have some fall application stuff. People putting down like uh, things like residue release to kind of break down some of that plant material that's left out in the field for the grain guys. And so a lot of activity. One of our core concepts at Master's Choice um is extending that har- harvest window and whether that's through management or hybrid s- genetics this is the time of year that that core concept of extended harvest windows becomes more important absolutely the the factor i mean the drier i don't care what company it is the drier your silage gets the less quality generally it's going to be and so you want to make sure you're taking it at that good moisture and finding that niche of uh, my my green moisture being at a certain level with my plant moisture being at a certain level um, too dry silage gets us a big problem with packing it and getting it in the bunker. Too wet silage can be the same thing. We have leak, leaking and leaching, um, and it's a lot a lot of trouble. So really getting in that window is much harder than we than we give it credit. And this is absolutely no knock on our friends in the uh, in the custom chopping business. We're we're good friends with some of those guys, and some of those guys carry our product. But um, when when you are relying on a custom chopper to uh, chop your silage, sometimes you are at the mercy of he can only get to one acre at a time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so often, you know, I, I say it during the, during certification trainings, you know, the, everything gets planted in the same two week window. So what does that tell you that it's going to happen when things get harvested? It's going to be in the same two week window. And so when you have that, you have a timing issue and uh, as you said, not a bash at all on our custom harvest friends. It's just the reality. Um, someone's going to be late to the party, right? So uh, making sure you're using the right type of hybrids that can handle that um, stress or uh, environment is important. You recommend a guy, you know, of, of his different fields, you know, like I said, you can only harvest one acre at a time. From a management standpoint, is there any value in potentially staggering your uh expected maturity ranges in among among your fields absolutely and i think this does get done to an extent but i think it could probably be done better um i don't think uh, many times for a lot of companies they don't have the silage data of that kind of thing they don't really even really talk to the grower about it um and so i think that you know through your planning process sitting down with your seed dealer 
I mean, for our customers, you know, calling me, calling Jimmy or, you know, John Baker, or one of those guys and saying, hey, you know, what order do I need to put these in um, can make a big difference because it might surprise you. It's, you can't just go by the date. You can't just go by maturity because um, some of them may be a maturity class because they require a certain amount of GDUs, but it might be they slow down a lot at the end or something like that. And so um, knowing the products well, knowing what to place when, um, this is just value, just as valuable as knowing where to place it as far as soil type, it, but it just doesn't get quite as much of attention usually. Okay. So extended harvest windows is one of our core concepts. That's important this time of year. Um, equally, or maybe even just a little bit more important than is another core concept where we talk about avoid the false slump or also known as feed first. So the false slump, right, is so I would actually say it's a dairy podcast. I'm assuming everybody knows what it is, but you know, how would you just how would you define false slump? Just in case somebody out there listening is like, what are they talking about? Yeah, so false slump occurs whenever you get into your fresh corn silage. Now, for some of our listeners, we're going to have people maybe writing in the combine right or in the the uh, silage chopper right now that are taking that take is taking that silage to go dump it almost in straight into the feedlot. Um, and so, or, or at the very least, they're going to maybe get two weeks or three weeks. And they know that when they do that, that milk production is going to be down. It's going to go down. And, and why is that? And the, so the kind of very long story short is it's starch availability is the biggest factor. So we, we look at a, a chart that we have with Cumberland Valley Analytical Services, and you can actually find that um, on our website in our nutrition summary or on our core concepts brochure. Um, and, and really what you're talking about, Andrew, is that starch, how much of that starch is actually fixed in the kernel and how much of it's actually available. And so that's what the fermentation process is, is essentially breaking down that starch. And so if I can start with more of it available from the very beginning, then I'm going to have more energy available and be able to have more starch that's actively in the diet. And so I don't take as big of a false slumps hit when it comes to using something with more starch availability. So we talk a lot at Master's Choice about about uh, starch characteristics and a softer starch kernel and more available starch. Um, when we look at the false slump, uh, you, you re- okay? Well, you referenced the, the the chart from Cumberland Valley that we put together a few years ago. Um, generally speaking, correct the fiber availability uh, from hybrid to hybrid probably fluctuates less right out of the field than the starch. So the fiber, it's, yeah, so, well, so correct that a little bit. So it, it can be drastically different out of the field, one hybrid to another. But what's what's not going to change is that fiber isn't going to become more digestible six months from now than what it the is. The fermentation right process is really for the start. Correct. So this chart, um, and like he said, we'll, we'll try to put a link in the description of this podcast that will send you to where you can view this. But 28 days from harvest, so less than a month. Mm-hmm. Um, the master's choice samples, and this was all hybrids averaged out. So every master's choice sample that Cumberland Valley took this year was at 75% starch availability at 28 days. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at this, if this chart, which you can't, cause this is an audio podcast, but if you were looking, there's a column here on the, on the rest of the samples. So, so master's choice is on one side, all Cumberland Valley samples are on the other. It took 105 days for the other, you know, samples other than the master's choice one to reach 75% starch availability. What, what can that save somebody? So you're talking, you know, almost 80 days. 
What's what is what can that save somebody? Um, saving them eighty days of you know needing that silage to ferment. Right. So I can't give you an exact dollar amount, obviously, because there's too many other factors there. You know, you talk about how much of the diet that they're currently feeding is their silage versus high moisture versus whatever else they have in that diet. But clearly, I think on average, most dairies report a 12 to 15 percent drop in milk production during the fall slump period. And Andrew, you're no, to be clear, you're not going to take all that away. Sure. It's, I mean, you can't completely uh, replace um, fermentation. But if you could even cut it but from, let's say, 20% down to 10%, um, that's substantial. You know, So you're taking, let's say, 100 pounds of milk. Uh, that they, Let's say they have a, their cattle, their, this dairy averages 100 pounds of milk production, and you talk about 10, uh, let's just say 20%, so getting it down to 80 if you can take that and get it back up to 90, milk price today is at 19.27, I believe, according to Real Ag Market. Um, so to about 19 dollars per hundred weight, it's a lot of money. Buy multiple cows, you know, take 500, 800,000, 2,000 cows, whatever it may be that are on milk. Um, it's substantial. Now I'm going to ask you a question that I know the answer to, but I feel like it's a good question for the purposes of discussion. Okay, we talk about a master's choice hybrid being more starch available right out of the field. Does that mean that the fermentation process is of no value to a more starch available hybrid? It's a great question. You want to answer it since you asked it? Also? <laughs> no, I want you to answer it. <laughs> so, uh, absolutely not. A fermentation process is 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 essential for what you do. Uh, processing is essential. Um, you know, we have dealers, we have customers who say, I don't even process my master's choice because it's so available. And that, like, I, I, that's fine. You can do that, but I don't generally recommend that. I still believe in processing. I still believe, um, in you know, taking fermentation, but where it is beneficial, Andrew is okay. So I don't, let's just say, I don't want to tie up all my acres with that particular brand, or I don't want a certain type. I want to use a BMR, for example. Um, on your operation, you say, I don't want my whole farm to be BMR because of maybe some of the challenges, but I'd like for part of it to be, well, it's actually a pretty great scenario being quite honest, because you can then put in master's choice, make sure it's your last planted, make sure or it's your first planted, make sure it's your first one that you take out. And that way you're getting, you know, or, you know, last one you take out is what you really ideally want because you want that, that BMR going in first. You want it to ferment as long as possible because it's traditionally going to be a, a harder grain. Um, and most of your other products are going to be your harder green, and then you're going to put your master's choice in last. And as the dealer or as the salesman, I'm putting myself in the worst possible scenario because I'm the one that's going to get fed first, so it's going to look like milk production is going to go down. But actually, I'm giving the farm the best benefit of my product. Yeah, that's the best value on farm. Even even you know, we would love for everybody to plant master's choice after it's been fermented for three months because it's going to look like a rock star. But when we actually talk about what's best for your farm. <laughs> that may not be the best way to utilize it, even though it doesn't make us look on a feed test as stellar as, as is, you know, it, it's potential. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's knowing how to best place your products and that, I mean, that's key. And so if I, like I, I, we don't sell BMRs. I don't have a single BMR in the, in the master's choice or in the Rob Seco lineup. There's no BMRs. Um, but I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to sit here and act like BMR isn't good stuff. 
um, because it does have some value and there is some good stuff. There's just a lot of challenges to it too. And so if you're just convinced you absolutely have to have it, um, here's a way to manage around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, false lump. It's not fun. It's, <laughs> it's, it's there are, there are fun parts of fall, but this is the one that is an actual legitimate, uh, uh, it's a challenge for dairy farms. Absolutely. It, it turns into a lot of dollars and, and the, you know, most dairies just generally say it's going to happen. So I just deal with it. Yeah. Most, I mean, I'm not saying I haven't been on a couple of dairies that do, but most dairies aren't two years out on, on corn silage fermenting. So being able to have an option for, you know, when things start to look a little short and you're thinking, I am going to have to feed fresh corn silage, having these master's choice hybrids with the starch availability that they do, um, it can, it can be a lifeline. Well, but even in that scenario, Andrew, and we don't, you know, we we really need to work on this, put this into some actual dollars, but what could it look like dairymen? If you are, if you are carrying two years worth of corn silage, what if you only carried a year or what if you carried even less than that? Now, granted, I, I'm very cautious when I say that because I sure don't want somebody to have a failure, crop failure one year um, and have nothing to feed because um, that's a nightmare scenario too. But, but I think your point is what could we invest in on our dairy Yeah, if we weren't having to carry two years worth of corn silage? Yeah, you're tiling, tying up anywhere from, depending on the region of the country, 30 to $60 a ton um, of silage. And if you've got uh, you know 25 tons to the acre and you've got a, thousand acres worth of corn silage sitting in there i don't math real good <laughs> it's a lot but it's a lot of dollars yeah um that you're that you could free up for your operation if you're in the right kind of scenario and so uh, just something to keep in mind um, even for you large producers that maybe are maybe really size doesn't necessarily part of it it's just for those that do have excess inventory you might be able to do something different there and, and rethink the way that you're doing that and actually free up some capital money i like it I like it. No, it's not going to make uh, fall, uh, the challenge of the fall completely go away. But I think that those things that we can do to uh, just take big problems and make smaller problems out of them, I think can still go a long, long way for a dairyman. Absolutely. Yeah, you you win it. You kind of win this war with, with little battles, right? Absolutely. So um, this is one way to do that. Well, thanks for joining Scott and I on this uh, podcast journey. We were happy to have you. Uh, be sure to tune in for the Field Ready podcast every 1st and 15th of the month. And as always, don't forget to stay field ready.